Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale presents. In a barn deep in the country, as night falls upon the earth, the animals turn their expectant gaze towards a small radio mounted on the wall. Exercise number five, the curl. Arms sideward, clench your fists. Ready? Begin. And in the farmhouses, children rush until their homework is done. This is going to be the best show ever, isn't it? Hurry. Done. It's going to be on in a second. And college students hurry home from their evenings out, some alone, some in pairs, holding hands and glancing at the clock. They hasten their pace everywhere. Hands on dials. Hands on dials. You see, on all of these radios, we are moments away from the appearance of a very special new star. Whose capturing of the public imagination can be likened to nothing since perhaps a group of Beatles went on the Ed Sullivan Show. Life has stopped, and as all goes silent, People realize they will someday ask each other where they were at this moment. Hey, you gonna listen? Yeah, they got a radio around back. A bunch of us are gathering around. It's nice, isn't it? And even backstage at the grand theater from which the broadcast will come, the crew glances around, hoping to catch a glimpse of the star. And chief stagehand Letitia Saltier, running the whole show, can't help but get swept up in the excitement as she gathers her crew around her. Hello, Bernard. Hey, you can't watch here forever. No, because they are going to exit this way. I'm going to talk to everyone in five minutes, okay? By the loading dock. What? Hey, child. Hey, I'm going to talk to everyone. I know, but you can come back. You can come back. I'm just going to talk to everyone now. Yeah. Allez, allez. Five minutes later at the loading dock. Okay, everybody, come close, come close, come close, come close. <laughs> A little bit closer. I know you're worried about uh, getting too close, but don't worry. Not tonight. Okay, Stéjande, this is it, huh? We waited a long time for this. And uh, it's here now. And... Uh, you know, I, I know I'm often a little bit tough on you, but you deserve it. <laughs> you do? You do? Truly, I want you to know that uh, I'm proud to work with you. And uh, I'm proud of the work that we do here. Uh, you are the best crew that I know. In fact, I choose a group of people to go into battle with, it would be, it would be you. And uh, I might end up dead, but you know, I would be happy about it. But what brought us to this remarkable moment? It all started with a song. A song sung on that very stage. Just a little song, sung by someone of so little importance that their even trying to sing was... Well, touching. You see, 
It made us feel that if someone so small, so insignificant, could raise up his voice and find happiness, so could we. And so we, in our rooms, reach for our radio dials. I'm trying to dial it in. The stupid antenna's broken. You want me to help you with that? Dad, get out of my room. Okay. I'm gonna miss this whole thing. In the grand ballroom at the top of the Eiffel Tower, the red velvet curtains part, and suddenly the giant on-air sign above the stage lights up. Broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower, the orbiting human circus of the air. Friends in the audience, friends at home, it is so good to be here with all of you. Now you all know there is someone very special in the building. Oh, okay, get a hold of yourselves, Tom. Settle. Well, it is appropriate that we who brought you tap-dancing mice and aerialist bovine cannonballs should at last bring you a certain someone who sang you a certain song. But before we bring him out, first, with their very own version of the very song that started it all, I give you the Orbiting Human Circus Orchestral featuring Romika, the extraordinary singing song. So the saw's song rings out, filling the ballroom at the top of the Eiffel Tower and out into the night, reaching radios. Radios. Do you like it? I love it. Radios, the world over. Dad? But there is one lonely soul who is not listening on the radio. At the back of the stage, behind the singing saw, behind the shimmering backdrop, tunneled into the brick wall beside the fuse box, a heating duct. And curled deep inside this heating duct, claustrophobic and alone, hides Julian, janitor here at the Eiffel Tower. Oh, my head. I hit my head. Who hit his head? It's okay. I'm not bleeding. And who's okay because he's not bleeding? Inside the heating duct through which he's most accustomed to sneaking into the theater and from which he can hear and just barely glimpse a world so beautiful it could only exist in his dreams, the broadcast ballroom. But why does he seem so incredibly nervous? Oh God, oh God, oh God. Listen to the size of that audience. Good heavens. Why, his heart is pounding. Okay, calm down, calm down, sing. And all we left, oh no. and all we know, and all we laugh together. He can't sing. And who alone, then here, sang how we sing, knew how we know, 
and all will last forever is may we go And all we know, and all we laugh together, and who alone sings how we sang, knows how we knew, and all we'll ask forever is bring us to. Yet there are certain songs we like because we feel it's really us singing. And it's true that he's not the only one singing. In the wings of the stage at the broadcast ballroom, stagehand Jacques is singing as he works. Ah, you sing like a fish. Thanks. And backstage, even chief stagehand Letitia Saltier, running the whole show, sings along. And all we sing together. Sing it, Letitia. <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, it's so good, huh? As she walks to our host, John Cameron's dressing room door, behind which we find him fixing an uncharacteristic drink. Come. Please, don't sing that song, Letitia. Sally. What is it, time? I can't believe I have to go on that stage with him. This night of all nights, our first show back. John, pull yourself together. We've got to go. Allez, allez. Meanwhile, in his heating duct. And all we live, and all we know, and all we laugh together, and who alone sings how we sang, knows how we knew, and all will ask forever. the whole world waited for. That was the Orbiting Human Circus Orchestral feature, Romika, the singing saw. I only hope he doesn't start in with the short jokes. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I give you a young performer who is short of everything except inspiration. Oh, no. Here to debut a brand new song is an artist of whom I could say so little. So little. John Cameron, no, no, no! Easily overlooked. A talent so atomic in its scope that he needs no introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, I say to you, here he is!
Here he is. Here he is. Is he here? Oh, God. John Cameron seems to have fallen. He appears to be crawling around on his hands and knees. Oh, God. I don't ask much of you. Where are you? Blood-sucking bastard. Perhaps one short joke less, and none of this would have ever happened. With the whole world listening, there is nothing but the most dreaded sound of all. Dead air. The stagehands run to and fro, looking all over. But our star performer is nowhere to be found, because he's hiding in, in, in... A heating duct? Now, let's not jump to any hasty conclusions. I know the fact that he's hiding in the heating duct seems to narrow it down greatly. Let's think clearly. There doesn't seem to be anybody else in the heating duct. Hmm. And the janitor does look rather small, especially curled up that way. We know that his biggest dream is being on stage. Is it possible that he is the small soul that the world has so waited for? Let us go back in time and listen to him singing once more, because there lies our answer. You'll remember this. It was just a few moments ago. He's in the heating duct. He's singing. And... Yes, it's just as I thought. He's pestered by a clinging distraction as he sings. And nobody is quite as critical of vocal interpretation as a song's own author. Especially when he hasn't had his blood feast. You see, the soul the whole world is waiting for is a flea. A musical flea. Which is hiding in the janitor's sock unbeknownst to him. I know. We'll need a moment to process this. There is an explanation. But let's stay with the janitor right now, here, exactly as he is. Because this is the feeling that the janitor loves so much. All of us gathered together, the joyful presence of a crowd. And isn't it when we're dreaming that we're closest to our dreams? He really is dreaming. Under the starry night sky of Paris, there is not another soul within a thousand feet. He is seated dangerously on the outer steel latticework of the Eiffel Tower, asleep, with a silver bucket wedged between his feet and a rag in his hand. He, of course, is supposed to be working. Ah, he's waking oh. up. Come on, Jillian. You can do better than this. No, it's going to come of you if you fall asleep on the girders. But let's get back to everything you've heard up till now. It's important. There is a story to what the janitor's been dreaming. He dreams it when he's awake, too. You see, 
The janitor likes to imagine he is part of a show. It's something he's always done, can't help doing. In fact, he's doing it right now. It helps him pass the 23 hours and 45 minutes he spends alone each day. He likes to imagine a narrator. That's me. Please let good come of me. And he likes to imagine something can hear him when he speaks into the void that way. And that, that's you. Hi. I just had this feeling that I haven't felt in so long. Something just reminded me. Um, you know when something just reminds you? When I was a kid, my great-grandfather took me to this radio broadcast at this broadcast ballroom. He was um, performing on it. He was a stage hypnotist. And I'd run away from my parents' house to him. And he'd kept me for a little while. But when I realized it couldn't last and I'd have to go back, which was bad, I got so sad. And of course, my great-grandpa saw this. So, on this night, he invited me to come be a part of his show. <clears throat> it was... So it was in this big, beautiful theater. It was... Um, there were all these lights everywhere and all this radio equipment. And normally, his act was all of these stunts with hypnosis. Um, people would see things that weren't there wonderful things. People would hear things that weren't there, even smell things. He was amazing. But he said tonight was going to be different. And as soon as we got to the ballroom, he took me backstage and he pulled me aside and he said, Julian, this has got to be a secret between you and me. And he, he looked around to see if anyone could hear and he took me into the dressing room and he closed the door and he got down on his knees and he looked at me and he said, Julian, tonight I'm going to attempt a stunt, and it might be the most important thing that I'll ever do, but nobody can know, except for you. And then he checked the door to see if anyone was listening, and he whispered in my ear and he told me, I'm going to hypnotize all Paris. He's going to hypnotize everybody listening to be happy. But he wasn't going to tell them he was doing it. He was, he was going to slip all the suggestions into his normal act, secretly, so no one would notice. He said, everyone listening, later tonight, they'll begin to feel happy. He said, you know how sometimes you just feel a cool breeze and it's like the first breeze that lets you know like the autumn is coming? Or, or you smell something and it reminds you of a time when you were so happy? I said, yeah. He said, someday when that happens, you're going to remember tonight. And then there was a knock at the door. And they came to get him, to take him on stage. But he told him to wait. And he got down to my level, on his knees. And he looked me in the eyes. And he said, do you believe me? And I didn't know what he meant. Uh, 
but they kept knocking and he said, I, I don't have time to explain what I need you to do when I do this. I need to be able to see you by the side of the stage and when I look at you, I need to be able to see in your eyes that you really believe I can do it. And then he just looked at me and I, I, I'd never seen him care about something that way. He said, do you? And then he got up and went with them. But then he stopped them again. And he turned around and he said, I want you to cross your fingers for me. And I did. And I showed him. And then they went off. I followed them as far as the edge of the stage. And he went out. And the audience applauded. And then he stopped in the middle of the stage. And he turned around and he looked right at me. And the whole theater saw it. And I look at him, and I love him with every inch of my soul. And I believe he can do it as hard as I can. And then he started his act. I got so absorbed, I even forgot how sad I'd been. And I watch, and it's the same act I've seen him do before. And then that's it. The audience applauds, and he comes off stage. And, and he doesn't want to talk to anybody but me. He comes straight to me. And he shook my hand. He said, I think we pulled it off. And he tells me he's going to take me out to see it happen. I got my coat and we go out the door. <clears throat> so there we are, me and my great grandpa, walking into Paris. And we were going out on the town, and I'd, I'd never been out on the town before. And he says that the suggestions can start to take effect any time. And he takes my hand, and he says, I hope it works. And he actually looks nervous. I, oh, I wanted it to work. I wanted it to work so bad. I wanted to see it. And so I opened my eyes wide, and I looked for any sign that I could find that it was beginning to happen. And we go into this restaurant, because I have to pee. Um, and when I came out of the bathroom, this lady at this table looked at me and she smiled. And then there th I heard these people laughing. And I didn't hear a joke. It was coming from the kitchen. And they were working. They weren't out front having fun like us. And, and I showed my great-grandpa there were these two people hugging goodbye and they kissed. And this old lady petting a cat and she didn't even have to smile. Like, and this woman sweeping the streets all alone and she has no reason to be happy but you can see that she's happy and I started looking at my great grandfather and smiling and he was smiling too because we were the only ones who knew why and I walked around with my great grandpa we went all over Paris and everywhere everyone was laughing and smiling and we couldn't stop laughing until everyone that I looked at was smiling back at me, and... And? You still haven't figured it out, have you, Julian? It worked. On... Who? On... On... It worked on me. That's right.
return with more in just a moment. We wanted to announce that Merge Records will be releasing songs of the Orbiting Human Circus all season long. Be on the lookout! Out now from Penguin Random House is Mightier Than the Sword 2, The Edge of the Word, a funny and fantastical interactive novel by Alana Harrison and the Orbiting Human Circus' very own narrator, Drew Callender. Become a friend of the Orbiting Human Circus on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash orbitinghumancircus to support the show. We return to the girders at the top of the Eiffel Tower, where the janitor, a bucket balanced between his feet and a rag in his hand, has just told you about his great-grandfather. This was different from his more fanciful tales. You'll understand why later. In fact, the story of the orbiting human circus really began the moment the janitor was asked, Whoa! But I can't tell you now, because the janitor has just hit the bucket with his foot and... It goes plummeting towards the earth, banging wildly against the tower as it falls. Oh my god. A person could be hurt or killed below, or a dog, or a mouse, or... Coco! Down below, the night watchman, the janitor's only friend. Coco! Terrified, the janitor rushes down, climbing off of the girders, flying past the janitor's closet in which he lives. Past flight after flight of dark, empty loneliness. Far below, he hears the bucket hit. Was that a scream? He runs and he runs. At last, the janitor reaches the bottom of the tower. Out of breath, he rushes out and... Coco! There, next to the bucket, which is flat as a pancake, is... Coco! Coco! Coco. Unhurt. Take it easy. Seeing the janitor so hysterical, the night watchman is a bit afraid. It's okay. It didn't hit me. I'm okay. Free, free, calm down. Slow, take it easy. Relax. Okay. What happened? I was, I was in the heating duct. Okay. Behind, behind the stage. Mm. This is something quite usual, the two of them conversing this way. Coco asking a question and the janitor answering with something he's dreamed up. And it may sound familiar. Coco, do you, do you remember when, um, when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show? Yes. Um, when... I had mentioned that the janitor spends 23 hours and 45 minutes alone each day. This is how he usually spends the other 15 telling the old night watchman a story about a ballroom at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Please sing now. And as the janitor talks, his features soften and his body becomes more relaxed, and the expression of concern and intention on the night watchman's face slowly transforms into a look of interest and amusement. And in a few moments, neither of them is in the least bit aware of the fact that minutes ago, Coco had nearly been removed from this world by a falling bucket, because he is being removed from the world now by something much nicer. And he goes, here he is. Here he is. And so we begin to see the janitor as he really is. And not a moment too soon, because there is a mystery the old night watchman is trying to uncover. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's been said by philosophers that our entire universe might exist in the head of a pin. Like the flea that is too small to see singing in the palm of John Cameron's hand, to enjoy it, you have to believe in it, if only for a moment. And when the janitor's telling it, Coco does. Uh-huh. Mm. Really? Yeah. Mm. It's another example of symbiosis in nature. Much as we feed the flea with our blood and it gives us beautiful songs in return, the janitor provides the old man nightly with the products of his imagination, and the old man provides <laughs> him with a kind of hope. A flea. And, and, um, <laughs> and I, just cupped it in my, I just cupped it in my hands and I held it there. Then what happened? Then? Uh, Silence. When the janitor runs out of story, he also runs out of words. Okay. Uh. Awkward. Just now the janitor's face might illustrate the word paralyzed, pained, or perhaps even pathetic in the encyclopedia. Not having one on hand, here is the janitor's boss on the phone with his wife last night describing the janitor's social graces. Uh. The janitor walks around like somebody who is hit over the head with uh, an anvil in a cartoon. Like he doesn't know where he is. Like, like he is surprised every day. Like, Ooh, ah, well, 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 what am I doing in the Eiffel Tower? <sighs> Mon Dieu. I, I, I give him this simple, simple task. I say, here, in your hand is a mop. You move it like this. To the left, to the right. And he can do it. No, I... I know, I know. But of course he has reason to be the way he is. Oh, Elizabeth. Shh, I have to be quiet. I know, I know they will fire me. I know that. But you have to believe me. Please, please, my love, believe me. I know what I'm doing. I can't let him go. I just can't. I cannot let him go. Uh, I can't explain to you why. No, I No, I'm not keeping secret from you. I, okay, I am keeping a secret from you, but... Oh, Elizabeth, if, if you only knew the truth about the janitor, you would not believe me. No one would believe me. No, I can't tell you. You're the only one I can talk to, but I cannot tell you because I... Besides, I could not explain. Because you... I, I, because I know how you are. You talk to everyone. I love you, but you can't help it. You... No, nobody knows. Only me. I think maybe Coco suspects something is crazy. But he could never know the truth. No. No, I'm not going to tell you. I... Uh, okay, 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 okay. Look. Are you alone? Are you very alone? Okay. I'll give you a little pity, pity hint. Okay. No, I, I have to talk quiet. You're not gonna get anything from this, but okay. The janitor, he never talks. Except to tell the night watchman this long and bizarre story. Okay? No, that is not the big clue. 
the big clue is he began telling the night watchman the story the moment the night watchman asked him the question what uh hello hello oh we got cut off more about that a little later let us look for a moment at coco uh, An elderly expatriate of pre-civil rights America. He has outlived his wife, his friends, and his family. He looks at the young man in front of him, who, having run out of story, um, simply stares at him. He can tell the young man would like him to go. And so he does. I, I guess it's time for me to go close up the ticket booth. Okay, okay. Good night, Julian. But later that night in the Eiffel Tower, when the janitor settles into his cot up in the cold janitor's closet in which he lives, he comforts himself by remembering parts of the story he's told Coco in the past. He pictures the stagehands putting on their jackets after a long night's work. Pierre and Carpenter Lily listen, and Jacques, having gotten a taste of singing, like the lion in the wild, its first taste of blood, we find going on a rampage. Once in a love. Sing it to me, Daddy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You guys going home to go to bed? Oh, my God. My poor little puppy. She probably dancing around doing a little pee-pee dance. And that's why I don't have a dog. Anyway, I'm going out, guys, so I'll see you uh, later. Ow. What do you mean, going out? You're crazy. I mean, with my buddies. You got buddies? What buddies? My kung fu buddies tonight. What kung fu buddies? Kung fu? My, uh... Jack, you gotta take better care of yourself. We're going to bed. We're going to sleep now. Look, I appreciate it, but... You know, if you don't live your life, then what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, you guys enjoy your rest. I'm running out of here, okay? Here go. See you tomorrow. Yeah. Say hi to the pup, all right? Oh, sure. It is now 45 minutes later. Here are Jacques' kung fu buddies. Auntie. Auntie, you, you want some tea? I'm going to go make some. No, helps me sleep, you know. Okay, Auntie. Good night. Good night. And as night watchman Coco prepares for bed deep in the heart of Paris, alone in the drafty apartment in which he lives, he thinks of a moment from a story the janitor once told him, where Chief Stagehand Letitia, at the end of a long night, was closing up the ballroom with Stagehand Francois. We did good, though. We did real good. Uh, yeah. We kept our cool. We didn't worry about anything, this or that. Yeah. The show could not go on without us, huh? You know what? The show could not go on without us. I like that. I like that because I'm not, I'm not so great in front of people, you know? Uh-huh. But I like to secretly know that without, you know, what you do and what I do and even Jacques. Yeah, even Jacques. None of this would, none of this would happen. Yeah. Do you know where this goes? I, that... Oh, that goes on the shelf above the radiator. Shelf above the radiator? You mean over over there? Yeah, over there. No, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll no, take no, it. No, no, no. No, no, I see. I see the outline in the dust. Oh, uh, yeah. That's... Oh, oh. Uh, you got it. You. That's good enough, yeah. That's okay, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
They'll know in the morning. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's raining outside. Oh, it's raining? Yeah, I got an umbrella. Oh. You want to, you know, I'll walk you to the bus or the... You can walk me to the bus. Okay. Yeah. Yes, as the janitor and the night watchman both lie in their beds, their thoughts of the orbiting human circus turn slowly into dreams. And the janitor remembers John Cameron saying, as he has said so often, as millions of people prepare for sleep. Broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower, the orbiting human circus of the air. Well, that's all for this week, ladies and gentlemen. This is John Cameron, broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower. The orbiting human circus wishes you a good night. The Orbiting Human Circus is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents. Episode 1 featured John Cameron Mitchell, Drew Callender, Susanna Flood, David Barlow, Dan Solomon, Mickey Braden, Nicholas Carter, Jesse Shelton, Walter Lowry, and Julian Coster. It was written and directed by Julian Coster and further workshopped with the cast and crew of The Orbiting Human Circus and produced by Christy Gressman. With musical composition and arrangement by Thomas Hughes, music by The Music Tapes, Lead editor Grant Stewart and editors Janelle Yee, Emily Marinoff, Jeff Tobias, and Julian. Sound design by Jonathan Sirimos, Foley by John Ringhofer, and lathe cutting by Steve Espinola. Engineering by Vincent Cascione, and additional production and mixing by Will Stanton. For more information and full credits, go to orbitinghumancircus.com.